Welcome to the She Who Overcomes podcast. I'm Mandy B. Anderson, and a few years ago, I started a life and business coaching company with my bestie. I'm a wife, a business owner, a coach, a speaker, and the author of the book that inspired this podcast, She Who Overcomes, Rising Out of the Ashes of Your Circumstances. I'm also training to run my first half marathon. Oh, and did I mention I'm doing all of this while overcoming a life-threatening illness called cystic fibrosis? It's true. And hey, if I can rise up, so can you. Each week on this podcast, I'll be here to encourage and equip you with the skills you need to rise up as the successful overcomer you were designed to be. So grab your coffee and let's hang out. Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of the She Who Overcomes podcast. And I just want to take a moment to thank you so much for tuning in every week with me and for leaving your reviews. Honestly, I am so humbled and thankful for the reviews that you've given. And so thank you, thank you, thank you for taking a moment to uh, just share that with us and get the word out for other people to enjoy this podcast. So, okay, you may have noticed that the last five episodes have had a theme. Did you catch it? Just in case you didn't, the theme is persistence. That's what the theme of the last five episodes has been. The theme of the next four episodes is going to be all about courage. So over the next four weeks, we're really going to dive into what it means to have courage, what it looks like in different situations. And today's episode is continuing with the She Who Overcomes book. And we're actually going to dive into chapter five, which is called She Deals with the Jezzies. And it's all about the courage to resolve conflict. So let's dive into chapter five. Boisterous laughter spilled over the dinner table as my two best friends and I enjoyed a much-needed girls' night out. The beautiful women sitting across from me had become more than just best friends. We were sisters in the deepest way possible, without sharing any DNA. Through extreme hardships and exciting victories, Rachel and Madison had become the girls that I turned to when I needed someone to talk to other than my husband. They were, and still are, my people— And on this frigid January evening, we all drew strength and encouragement from the support that only best girlfriends can give. Laughter really is the best medicine. Even among the best of friends, though, silly habits can be hard to break. For reasons unbeknownst to me, I found myself going through the motions of scrolling through my phone to check if there were any urgent messages on social media or even email. Even now, almost a year later, I'm still trying to to decide whether or not this was a wise decision. My email showed that I had a somewhat urgent message regarding an upcoming class that I was to teach. So I decided to open it and quickly skimmed the content. Every hair on my body stood up as I read the words nestled within the electronic letter. The fun girls' night out came to a jolting stop in an instant with just the swipe of a finger on my phone, 
and my friends could read it all over my face. Rejection, hurtful words, manipulation, blaming, they all screamed at me through the pixelated letters and threatened to choke me out. Confusion ran rampant as I tried to figure out what I had done wrong. I passed the phone to my friends and then excused myself to the bathroom while I tried to regain my composure. Instead of finding the confidence I had hoped to gain in those few moments alone, I was met with a panic attack, one that left me feeling unworthy, incompetent, and not good enough. This, my friend, was the first night I recognized a full-on personal attack of the Jezebel spirit. At first glance, words like revenge, manipulation, and jealousy can seem like clever marketing for the next blockbuster movie. In reality, these are just a sliver of the characteristics and behaviors that we as women wrestle with from time to time. They do not form strength. They crush it. They do not create winners. They destroy them. These qualities are the exact opposite of what overcomers should embrace. In Revelation 2, 18-29, we see a letter to the church in Thyatira. I may have just messed that up, but you get what I mean. This letter seems uplifting at first, but then it quickly takes a turn that addresses this very issue. I want to read it to you right now. These are the words of the Son of God, whose eyes are like blazing fire and whose feet are like burnished bronze. I know your deeds, your love and faith, your service and perseverance, and that you are now doing more than you did at first. Nevertheless, I have this against you. You tolerate that woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophetess. By her teaching, She misleads my servants into sexual immorality and the eating of food sacrificed to idols. I have given her time to repent of her immorality, but she is unwilling. So I will cast her on a bed of suffering. I will make those who commit adultery with her suffer intensely, unless they repent of her ways. I will strike her children dead. Then all the churches will know that I am he who searches hearts and minds and I will repay each of you according to your deeds. Now I say to the rest of you, to you who do not hold to her teaching and have not learned Satan's so-called deep secrets, I will not impose any other burden on you. Only hold on to what you have until I come. To him who overcomes and does my will to the end, I will give authority over the nations. He will rule them with an iron scepter. He will dash them to pieces like pottery, just as I have received authority from my father. I will also give him the morning star. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. That's from Revelation 2, 18 through 29. So before we dive into the rich content of this passage, let's celebrate what these people were doing right. First, they were displaying God's love. They had faith, they persevered, they served others, and they did all of this while building their skill. These are all good things. 
But then they took a turn and made a big mistake that had the potential to cost them dearly. And here's why we must pay attention. Because even when we are doing many things right, we can risk making big mistakes if we do not remain teachable and stand firm in our convictions. The mistake that had the potential to derail everything was this. They tolerated Jezebel. Okay, in order to understand fully why this was such a problem, we need to journey through a quick history lesson. In 1 Kings 16, 29 through 34, 1 Kings 18 and 19, and 2 Kings 9, 30 through 37, we get a glimpse of who Jezebel was. She was an actual queen. She wasn't someone to strive to be like, let alone tolerate. She was evil, and she had influence that brought about destruction to nations. She was the queen of Israel long after kings David and Solomon. She killed the Lord's prophets, and she urged her husband to sell himself to evil and wicked actions. The Bible describes them as follows. There was never a man like Ahab who sold himself to do evil in the eyes of the Lord, urged on by Jezebel his wife. He behaved in the vilest manner by going after idols. That's from 1 Kings 21, 25 through 26. The difference between these two rulers, Ahab and Jezebel, is that Ahab eventually humbled himself before God. Jezebel never did. And because of this, she died a horrible death of being eaten by wild dogs. Ugh. The Jezebel spirit is a wicked spirit that still exists to this day. And in order to live fully as an overcomer, we must not tolerate it or operate in it. Okay, so you might be wondering a few things like, what exactly is the Jezebel spirit and why is tolerating it so bad? Well, just because she died a horrible death in ancient times doesn't mean that the things she stood for have vanished. Not at all. Some of the bad habits and attitudes that Jezebel stood for include things like control, manipulation, revenge, jealousy, twisting the words of God and others, rebellion, guilt, blame, selfishness, arrogance, pride, idolatry, a condescending attitude, seduction, confusion, dissension, lying, distrust. Ugh. These are just a handful of her nasty habits and thought patterns. We're going to call those the Jezzies. And none of them produce an overcomer. Not a single one. That's why we can't tolerate the Jezebel spirit. Because once we start, it wraps around every facet of our lives until the lines become so blurred that we no longer see a right or a wrong. Instead, we see indifference. We see gray. God doesn't stand for that. He stands for truth, always. Though I'm not proud of it, there have been times in my life where a spirit of Jezebel started to influence me. In fact, I can trace it as far back as high school. At the beginning of my junior year of high school, when my first boyfriend broke up with me, 
I wanted nothing but revenge. And it tasted sweet when I got it. Let me tell you. At first, it tasted sweet. It came up served on a platter of eventually going out with him again, only this time I cut the ties and I broke his heart. Wiped my hands clean, made the scores even, an eye for an eye, or in this case, a broken heart for a broken heart. There have been countless other experiences in my life that involved jealousy, control, guilt, blame, selfishness. Oh man, there's been lots of that. I've walked in pride, idolatry, even seduction. Honestly, the list goes on and on, and the stories are intertwined sometimes with more than one nasty quality all at once. It took going through a season of humbling and repentance to get rid of this ugly spirit. It still tries to creep in sometimes, but I've made the decision to no longer tolerate it. So when I recognize its filthy little fingers wrapped around the doorknob of my heart, I repent and pray it away fast. You see, as hard as it is most times, overcomers get real with themselves and they get real with God. They embrace vulnerability so that the biggest overcomer of all time, Jesus Christ, can expose the weaknesses. He can wash them clean, and he can replace them with his strengths. Overcomers know this. They desire this. They don't quit until they experience this. With every fiber in my being, I wish someone else would shed light on this topic. I've hemmed and hawed about this subject matter, often crying out to God, please send someone else. But for some reason, God has called me and our entire company, actually, to rise up and speak out about the Jezzies that have infiltrated our relationships, our families, our workforces, and sadly, even our churches. God doesn't always give me warm, fuzzy messages, if you know what I mean. So the story that I shared at the beginning of this episode happened within the four walls of a church. That's right. I said it. The women that were in leadership in a church that I had grown to love were operating in this spirit, and it was tearing friendships, families, and the church body apart. It was attacking people on personal levels as well and creating doubt, unbelief, and more pain than should ever happen from the family of God. But this is not an isolated instance. It's happening in many churches, and it's time that we stand up against this spirit. The church was never meant to be a place that hurts people. God's plan was, is, For the church to be a safe place for the lost, the broken, and all the misfits who didn't seem to make it on Santa's sleigh. Wait, that seems a bit misplaced, especially since, as I type this, we're heading into summer. Or does it? That's how the church should be in God's eyes. A place for the broken, for the misfits. A safe place for wounded hearts. Not always in a building, but in a group of people who are willing to celebrate everyone's strength while simultaneously accepting and helping them to overcome their weaknesses. 
Yet in many churches across America, it has become the opposite. An elite sorority club that pats you on the back with a smile and then a high five yelling, you rock, sister friend, only to turn around and list all of your flaws and call you bad names all in the name of leadership and wisdom. By the way, that's called gossip, not leadership. Think this is exaggerating? Think again. It's happening. It has happened to me, to people I love dearly, and to many other people I know. And it has to stop. But since I'm being honest, I have to admit that I have done this to others without meaning to as well. After all, I did just admit to my own Jezzy tendencies on the preceding pages of this book. Women, for some reason, seem to get the brunt of it. And we do it to ourselves out of insecurity and feigned confidence. Men do it too, although not as often and not as mean. With every snarling word and fake smile, hearts get wounded and the church gets buried deeper and deeper into the pit of high school. This is when church feels like high school. And nobody, absolutely nobody, wants to go back to high school. There's got to be more. Jesus died for more. He died for more than this. But what can be done, Mandy? That's what you might be asking, right? Like, what can we do about it? Well, in order to overcome this high school church group mentality trend, we must be willing to rise up and do the one thing that might seem counterproductive at first sight. We must face it head on. God is serious about getting rid of this spirit. And that's what we're dealing with when we peel back the layers of a church that feels like high school. You see, it's really easy to point our fingers and say that someone else has a Jezebel spirit. We blame and we ask others to, oh, pray for that girl to be set free. And while this seems like a noble thing to do, this sort of action does nothing except play into the Jezzies even deeper. You see, the things that bother you and bug you to no end about someone else, they're usually just a mirror of what you won't change or admit to in your own life. Ouch! I know! I know! Trust me! It's painful for me, too. There are no warm fuzzies here. But it's true. So here's the part where we rise up and do something about it. Are you ready? While it probably feels like everyone is against you at times, and that you're the misfit toy staring up in the sky at all the lucky toys on Santa's sleigh, I assure you, you're not alone in this. I'm right there with you. We will never overcome the Jezzies by operating in them, no matter where they show up. That will only result in making the problems worse, and the friendship, the relationship, the overall environment will be more toxic. We must confront the Jezzies in a godly manner. Even if we don't have faith in God, this principle that I'm about to share with you works. It works. We must take the high road no matter how much we don't want to. And believe me, there will be times where you won't want to. 
But dealing with the Jezzies requires us to utilize something called the Honor Code of Conflict Resolution. We have an entire home study course that you can grab on our website, bigbluecouchcoaching.com, where you can actually use this information more. But right now, here's a quick rundown of how it works. The first step of the honor code is to let the dust settle. Conflict resolution can't happen in the midst of high emotions. We've got to give each other space and time to let the rawness of our emotions settle. Only then do we have a chance to heal the relationship and our hurt feelings. This was a challenging step for me to apply. In the situation that resulted from the email that I referred to earlier, the last thing I wanted to do was let the dust settle. I wanted to fix things. Pronto. I wanted to prove my point and give all the reasons why I felt I was wronged. But that would not have helped. So instead, with the help of a biblical counselor, all parties involved were given some guidelines to follow as we gave each other the space to let our own emotions heal. The guidelines were simple. We could not talk about the situation to anyone for a specific amount of time. And here's the kicker. We could not post cryptic messages on social media that could be misconstrued. So during this time, I wrote in my journal a lot. In fact, several entries were rough draft letters written to the woman whose words had wounded me so deeply. I never actually gave her these letters, but they did serve a purpose. They provided a place for the hurt that was blistering inside of me to ooze out onto paper so I could get to the bottom of what I was really feeling. Whenever we burst through the door trying to prove our point, we end up saying words that we don't mean. These words always make the situation worse. Instead, we must be willing to give everyone involved the freedom to let their emotions settle. This can be difficult, but in the long run, it is vital to healing any relationship that has been damaged by the Jezzies. The second step of the honor code is to look in the mirror. This is when we have to take an honest assessment of our own habits, thoughts, and hidden hurts. Are there pockets of fear, insecurity, exhaustion, gossip, or even guilt in your own heart? If so, that's a sign that you've been dealing with a Jezzy, either outwardly from another person or inwardly. Be brave enough to get real with yourself and recognize the things that need to be healed in your own heart first. When I looked in the mirror and saw the reflection of my own heart in this situation, I was a bit surprised. Staring back at me was a giant dose of insecurity, mixed with traces of guilt, blame, and even pride. There was insecurity because... Leaders that I looked up to and wanted to be friends with had treated me poorly. I trusted them, but they spoke careless words of gossip behind my back. Eventually, those words about my abilities and talents reached my own ears, and it hurt. It also made me question and doubt the gifts and talents God had given me. I thought that these women were right because they had been placed in a position of leadership. Therefore, their opinions must matter. 
I was wrong. I allowed their opinions to matter more than what God had told me. It was a tough road to walk, and for many months, I wavered between trying to be confident in who God said I was and being totally insecure in the perception others had of me. That's what insecurity does. It causes confusion and gets you so wrapped up in the opinions of others that the words of God seem minuscule in comparison. Traces of guilt showed up too. I walked around feeling guilty because I believed the lie that said, clearly you've done something so wrong that you should hang your head in shame. Whenever guilt shows up, condemnation isn't too far behind. Condemnation is the thing that makes you feel a strong disapproval of something you've done before. Have you ever felt that way? It also makes you feel judged. Now, clearly, there is a difference between expressing disapproval in a manner that helps someone grow and expressing disapproval in a condescending way that ultimately leaves you feeling condemned and just plain guilty. There is a difference. Guidance is necessary for growing and becoming spiritually mature. However, when God gives guidance, He does it by extending conviction, which leads to repentance and healing. It makes you feel free, light, better, whole. Condemnation leads to none of that and leaves us feeling worthless and empty. In my guilty, condemned state of mind, I was feeling all of those things. And then there was the blaming. Oh, the blaming. In my very hurt state of being, I found myself blaming everyone else for making me feel so insecure, guilty, and condemned. But blaming others only made me feel, act, and look like a victim. Overcomers can never act like victims. Because they aren't. But there I was, blaming and walking around with a victim mentality. Finally, pride reared its ugly head too. Pride was the thing screaming, I did nothing wrong to deserve this unfair treatment. Pride kept me focused on the hurt and the injustice that I was experiencing. It stopped me from rising up and moving forward. These were the Jezzies staring back at me when I finally found the courage to look in the mirror. I had to get vulnerable enough with myself to admit that they were there because only then could I do something about it. With a spirit of humility, I asked God to forgive me for entertaining these jezzies and operating in them. And then I asked him to clean out my heart and give me a fresh start. That's what we all must do when we look in the mirror. I must warn you, it will be difficult. It will require vulnerability with the one person we usually all hide from the most, ourselves. But it will be worth it in every way. And it will open the door to the next step. You see, the third step of the Honor Code of Conflict Resolution is to extend grace and forgiveness. On this journey of resolving conflict with honor, We must give each other the grace to share our feelings and get it out, knowing that we each have our reasons and excuses for why something happened. Grace is the thing that allows us to hear the hurt, the reasons, and the excuses, 
but not be damaged by it. And grace leads to forgiveness. Forgiveness is a choice, not a right. However, it is one each person must make for the relationship to be fully healed and restored. I wish I could say that this step was applied in the situation with the women in leadership at my church. While it was applied on the part of myself and another person involved, the ones in leadership did not apply this one, nor did they apply the following steps. It's important to note, though, that this step is still important even if everyone involved doesn't do it. From a personal standpoint, the freedom that comes from walking through all five steps of the Honor Code of Conflict Resolution is worth every moment where it might be excruciating and painful. While step three didn't happen with this particular situation, I do have an experience where it happened with a close childhood friend. At the same time that this friction was happening at church, one of my lifelong friendships was experiencing a similar situation. Living in different states had finally taken its toll on our friendship, and we found ourselves growing apart. We found ourselves hurting each other in the process because we didn't confront the issues. Eventually, we found ourselves head-to-head with the truth. We had been tolerating and operating in the jazzies. We applied steps one and two, and then we found ourselves getting to step three. We extended grace and forgiveness to each other. We allowed each other to share our hurts without judging each other. And we both asked for forgiveness for the ways we acted and the judgments that we had been holding on to. It really was a beautiful experience that helped save our friendship. It also opened the door to moving forward with conflict resolution to step four. Step four is seek to understand the other person. We must make the choice to try and understand the other person without casting judgment. My lifelong friend and I had to get to the point of extending grace and forgiveness before we could begin to seek to understand each other. It took a long conversation where we asked tough questions of each other, and we did this to be able to get through this process, but we came out on the other side with a newfound respect for each other. It was worth it. Understanding the other person does not mean that you give up your convictions. It does not mean that you are weak. Quite the opposite, actually. It takes a strong person to be able to take a step back and look at something from the other person's point of view without being judgmental. It takes an overcomer to do this. And it must be done if you're going to heal broken relationships that have been damaged by the Jezzies. Once we go through the process of letting the dust settle, looking in the mirror, extending grace and forgiveness, and seeking to understand the other person— we can move into the final step of conflict resolution, establishing new behaviors. Moving forward will require each person to make an effort in following some basic friendship guidelines. If spending time together is important to one person, the other must make an effort to do that. If words of encouragement are important to one, then the other must make an effort too. New habits may have to form, but it's necessary. My lifelong friend and I agreed to stay in touch more often by scheduling chats on social media, Skype dates, 
or simply making a point to reach out to each other more often with a text message. We made it a point to pay attention to each other's lives on social media by liking or commenting on pictures. We made a point to be present. And I know those things sound so superficial, but they actually keep you connected in more ways than you realize. Establishing new behaviors will look different for everyone, but this is a vital step if the relationship is to be restored in any form. The honor code of conflict resolution doesn't just work in friendships. It works across the board. However, it is especially handy for women when we experience problems with our girlfriends. Women are relational creatures, so it makes perfect sense that we would experience attacks from the Jezebel spirit in our friendships more than in any other area. Anytime these characteristics show up in a friendship, the relationship has the potential to turn toxic if these habits are not taken care of quickly. Toxic, jezzy habits and thought patterns, they show up in covert ways, so it takes a trained eye to see them. For instance, in a recent study during one of our coaching programs with a group of young females, 94% of girls ages 11 to 18 reported that they rarely or never lie to their friends. That means only 17% of them are honest with their friends when their feelings have been hurt. That's a big difference. To the naked eye, this might seem harmless, but underneath it lay some very disturbing characteristics of the Jezebel spirit, such as manipulation, lying, and distrust. If we are going to be women who overcome, we're going to be a she who overcomes We must be willing to fix any discord in our friendships. Not only that, it's imperative that we also train up the generations of girlfriends after us in the same way. When we teach this to high school students in our coaching programs, we make sure to give them a glimpse of the qualifications for a toxic friendship as well as a healthy one. I know, I know, it seems totally like we should be able to easily identify the differences in these type of friendships by now, right? As adults, but toxic friendships, they start as healthy ones and stealthily develop into toxic ones before we even realize it. I encourage you to take a brief moment to do an assessment of these descriptions in your own friendships. A toxic friend is someone who makes you feel badly about yourself. She makes you feel like you don't belong, like you're not good enough. And she is toxic because she slowly kills the person you were designed to be with lies and labels. A toxic friend always operates in the jezzies. Her true colors are displayed by the following habits. She gossips about you. She posts embarrassing pictures or words on social media about you to try to hurt you intentionally. This can also be done in cryptic ways by posting about a situation but leaving out the names of those involved. And don't make the mistake of thinking that this only happens among teenagers. Adult women are just as guilty of doing this. A toxic friend shares your secrets with others and says, it's no big deal, you need to loosen up. She judges the way you look and the clothes you wear. She holds grudges against you. 
She breaks her promises to you and others. She belittles you and makes fun of you, cares more about talking about herself and her problems, but never lets you talk about things that matter to you. She betrays you. She makes everything into a competition and feels threatened or jealous if you do something better than she does. And she finds fault in everything you do. But a healthy friend? A healthy friend is someone who builds you up, encourages you, supports your dreams and the things you like to do. A healthy friend's colors show up in the following ways. She encourages you. She respects your feelings in person, with others, and on the internet. She treats people the way she wants to be treated. She keeps your secrets. She keeps her promises. She supports you and stands by your side, cheers you on when you feel overwhelmed or sad. She will sit with you in silence when you just need a friend to be there. She is honest with you and tells you how she feels in a way that honors you and strengthens your friendship. Spending time with a true friend makes you feel energized and happy, not drained and belittled. She shares and lets you share too. It's not always about her. She doesn't compete with you, but she encourages you to be your best, even if it means you are better than she is at something. She asks for forgiveness when she's done something hurtful, and she also forgives when her feelings have been hurt. This all applies to men as well. When we aren't free to be honest and vulnerable with our friends and our loved ones, we are letting that relationship thrive in a toxic relationship. When we aren't free to be honest and vulnerable with our friends and our loved ones, we are letting that relationship thrive in a toxic environment. When we aren't free to be honest and vulnerable with our friends and our loved ones, we are letting the relationship thrive in a toxic environment. Vulnerability is a must for a healthy relationship to grow and strengthen, but it takes courage to face the fact that a once healthy relationship has grown toxic. If you find yourself recognizing a toxic friendship or a toxic relationship right now, I encourage you to take some time to journal through what's happening and the feelings that have surfaced. Walk through the honor code of conflict resolution with yourself and with the person involved if possible. Listen to this episode again and again so that you can really learn it and apply it. But be prepared. Some relationships are so toxic that they won't be fixed until each party chooses to rise up and confront the hard issues, the jezzies. If that happens, keep walking through the steps on your own so you can keep growing as an overcomer. Okay, so we've just spent a considerable amount of time learning about the Jezebel spirit, confronting the Jezzies, confronting the issues, and learning some skills to help us find the courage to resolve the conflict that ensues from this wretched spirit. I want to encourage you to spend time with God on this, if you have faith in Him. If not, take the parts that work for you and leave the ones that don't. But the honor code of conflict resolution on its own, those five steps are powerful no matter where you come from in life. 
They really do help your relationships. You were born to be an overcomer and to have healthy relationships. You were born to be a woman who overcomes or a man who overcomes by courageously dealing with the Jezzies in your own life. That ends our chapter from the She Who Overcomes book. And hey, I just want to take a moment because I was thinking, wouldn't it be cool if we could hang out like together for a few weeks going deeper into this content and really applying it and I could get to know you and hear you and see you and answer your questions? I think that would be really cool. And my bestie, Rachel, who owns Big Blue Couch Coaching with me, she thinks it would be cool too. So something that we used to do at our company is a summer coaching experience. And we've taken a few years off, but we're bringing it back this summer. And guess what? The coaching experience we're going to do is the She Who Overcomes coaching experience. It's going to happen online We'll have a few live spots for a live audience to join us every week, about six to eight people in our studio. But the majority of this is taking place all online. And you can get all the details at bigbluecouchcoaching.com forward slash SWO. It's coming up in June and July. It'll be six weeks. And I would just love to help you walk through this content, walk through what it takes to apply the skills we've been learning, no matter what faith we have, no matter where we come from in life, no matter what age we are, it's never too late to rise up as an overcomer. So I invite you to check it out, learn more about it at bigbluecouchcoaching.com. All right, guys. Well, I'm going to go ahead and wrap this episode up. I'll be with you again next week as we go deeper into this idea and this theme of courage. And I tell you what, I'll give you a sneak peek of what to expect next week, because next week we're going to be talking about She Is Wanted. And it's all about how you are wanted, like the real you the authentic you. The world needs you. We want you. We want to see you. We want to know you. And I personally want to help you get there. So I'll be with you next week. Until then, have a great day. back with another episode for you next week. For now, if you would take a moment and write a review or subscribe to the podcast, that means the world to those of us who work so hard to produce every single episode. For more information, go to bigbluecouchcoaching.com or find me on Facebook and Instagram under Big Blue Couch Coaching. A shout out to my hubby, Mr. Nate Anderson, for editing this podcast. And most importantly, I hope that you found something today that gave you the courage to rise up and overcome that thing that you've been facing. You're stronger than you think. I'll see you next week.